welcome to the Development Policy Centre podcast. I'm Ashley Betteridge. In this episode, we bring you the recording of a recent event on the economics of climate change in the Pacific. Sin Yong Park and Shan Bin Yao from the Asian Development Bank presented the findings of a recent report projecting the economic costs of climate change in the region. Presentation slides are available on our website, devpolicy.anu.edu.au. Uh, good afternoon and welcome. Um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Matthew Dornan. I work at the Development Policy Centre here in the Crawford School. Uh, and I'm pleased today to be chairing this session on the economics of climate change in the Pacific. Before we begin, I want to take a moment to acknowledge the um, traditional owners of the land on, on which we stand, um, the Ngunnawal people, and pay our um, respects to their elders past and present. We're fortunate today to have with us not one, but two distinguished speakers from the Asian Development Bank. Uh, Shanbin Yao is the Director General of the Pacific Department at ADB, the department that is responsible for ADB operations um, in our immediate region, including Timor-Leste, uh, PNG and other Pacific Island countries. Um, many of you will already know uh, Shanbin from his many visits to Canberra um, and the Crawford School. Uh, Shanbin was previously Director General for ADB's Regional and Sustainable Development Department. Um, he holds a doctoral degree in Agricultural Economics from Michigan State University. Our other speaker, Sin Young Park, is Assistant Chief Economist and a Director in the Economics Research Department of the Asian Development Bank. Um, she has worked on uh, a number of very well-known ADB publications, such as the Asian Development Outlook, uh, and Asia Economic Monitor. Sin Young received her PhD in economics from Columbia University. Today, uh, our speakers will be presenting an ADB report on the economics of climate change in the Pacific. I understand that this is part of a broader series of studies um, on the economic impacts of climate change in different uh, subregions within the Asia Pacific, um, and uh, Shanbin will discuss that in more detail. For the Pacific, um, and I feel I don't really have to say this, um, this is a, a really important issue. Um, small island developing states in the Pacific are amongst the most vulnerable in the world to climate change, uh, susceptible as they are to rising sea levels, uh, natural disasters like cyclones, droughts, uh, and to other changes in climate that affect livelihoods in agriculture, tourism, fisheries. I won't say any more as I don't want to eat into the time that we have. Um, we'll aim for a half hour presentation um, to, to maximise um, our time for discussion afterwards. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, thank you very much uh, Matt, uh, for that uh, kind of intro introduction. My role is actually is, uh, is run, a, run a small commercial or a station break uh, before our main speaker will give the, uh, the, the uh, talk, uh, give the lecture on this talk proper. Uh, let me say that uh, how uh, grateful we are and very pleased to be here, uh, to be among the faculties, to be among the, 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 the students and also the researchers who are very much attuned to the development challenges, development issues for the region and the Asia-Pacific region at large and of course specifically for the Pacific Island economies. And so uh, uh, this is a great opportunity for us to and, uh, interact and to learn from you and uh, through this presentation. Uh, just from my side, uh, three uh, uh, so points as a way of uh, 
uh, uh, session break before um, Senior give her uh, presentation. One is that uh, uh, climate change, sustainable development, very much a topic the bank, Asian Development Bank, focusing on, addressing to, to through policy research so, uh, and the policy advice, and then very importantly, through uh, uh, financing and technical assistance operations that we do for the region as a whole. On research, we have done this uh, Asia-wide. Uh, Asia in fact, uh, recently uh, there was a book published, a joint effort from ADB and ADBI, uh, low carbon and, and green growth policy and the practices. We had benefited, we had benefited from uh, Professor Kalikaria, uh, uh, and, and then, of course, uh, the Professor and uh, Hao uh, um, joined that research work. Really to, to understand that how much has happened in terms of climate change response on the mitigation side in the region uh, across the, the, the different sectors and how much more that, that were at region, uh, different sectors and then a region as a whole should further work on this issue. It's not just about climate change per se, it's about, it's about the growth. It's about low carbon growth, it's about the poverty reduction, it's about inclusive growth. So that's the message in the, the uh, 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 the, the work. I understand that there's some that uh, there was a recent presentation by my colleague uh, from ADBI, Amboon, and I understand that the work has also been uh, some of the work has also been read you know, among the, some of the students there. Um, there is a, this present work is uh, ADB's and a series of studies to understand economics of climate change at the sub-regional level. We have done the sub-regional work led by uh, Sinyan's team in Southeast Asia. East Asia, South Asia, Central Asia, and Pacific. So we have now we have the opportunity to uh, uh, to learn the uh, findings and then policy implications for the South, uh, for the Pacific uh, uh, re, uh, region in particular. Look into some of the sectors which may have neglected as, as part of the previous and uh, poli uh, policy research policy discussions. And of course, uh, from the operation side, and uh, I have my colleagues and uh, Robert Guile and Dr. Guile there. He is leading our from the operation side the the, the, the work on the, the, the how we truly truthfully mainstream the climate change response into our development financing operations infrastructure climate proofing climate adaptation and then bring in these issues it's not just about financing it's more than financing it's about policies I learned this method, uh, policy uh, message from Professor Howe because he gave a presentation last week in Port Vila on this topic. How, we, uh, how countries can bring the policy attention across the sectors to this issue, the issue about the sustainable development. And, and, we're, and we're, we're working with Tonga government to bring in the different financing, source of financing together to address the, uh, the climate change issues through the so-called so PPCR, Pilot Program for Climate Response. And we're working with and crops the Pacific uh, uh, regional institutions addressing how countries can learn from each other, pilot programs, and yet can learn from each other, bring about the, 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 a joint a collective response and to, to this. It's very difficult, but we have to start. And, and, and the since has to work on that. So with this, once again, very much appreciated and for uh, the, 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 the 
Professor Hao and uh, Matt for, for, for the center hosting us and uh, for, for this afternoon and on our, and without further ado, uh, if I may, uh, may I invite uh, uh, Dr. Sinyang Park to give the, give the um, presentation, Sinyang. Oh, thank you very much uh, for giving us an opportunity to present this uh, new report uh, came out very recently by the uh, ADB. In fact, um, I also would like to apologize. There's a little bit of a delay in the beginning. <laughs> I, um, well, as uh, uh, Dr. Yao has mentioned, that uh, we are launching a series of uh, economic climate change across different sub-regions. Um, we have done in uh, Southeast Asia about uh, three years ago, and uh, South Asia uh, and uh, East Asia have uh, come out very recently. Um, this is our latest report, and uh, uh, one in, uh, for Central West Asia is in the pipeline uh, to be published uh, probably in another year or so. so why are we talking about climate change? I, I don't really think that we need to pose that question. Uh, climate change is uh, very much real, um, especially for the uh, Pacific region. Uh, it's uh, consisting of uh, you know, various uh, small and large uh, low-lying uh, islands, uh, which have uh, extensive coastal line uh, that are making these uh, island nations very vulnerable to the uh, effects of climate change. In fact, uh, uh, the study uh, aims to identify uh, and uh, quantify some of the key potential uh, climate change effects in the Pacific. We have uh, several questions that, uh, uh, that sort of motivated this uh, study. So how serious is going to be that potential effect of climate change for the Pacific? Um, what are the key impact, uh, What are the impacts of climate change on key economic sectors, which would help us uh, prioritize where the sort of adaptation uh, actions have to be uh, targeted first. How costly is the climate change to the Pacific altogether? And then uh, how, how can we uh, help the countries adapt to a highly uncertain climate change? How much investment are we actually talking about? Um, the Pacific Island countries are scattered around uh, in uh, South Pacific Ocean uh, spreading uh, about more than uh, 30, um, 30, square, 30 million square meters um, around. And this, uh, we have uh, 14 developing member countries in the Pacific, uh, of, uh, the members of Asian Development Bank. The vulnerability of the Pacific Island countries uh, arise from their unique geographic location like this, also, uh, it's uh, economic structure uh, that are very fragile, relying heavily on the uh, agriculture, tourism, and a lot of uh, natural resource-based uh, industries. The, con the economy actually have seen a rapid uh, population growth as well in the past decade also. There have been more than 50% of uh, population growth uh, since uh, 1995. In fact, uh, the region uh, population grew at an average of 3% compared to 1.3% uh, uh, in the developing Asia uh, as a total which means that the growing uh, the population and then increasing economic activity also taxing the environment 
for the Pacific. So, in fact, uh, this is the, uh, uh, the picture that sort of gives you the uh, uh, sense of the region's vulnerability in terms of its economics and then uh, also uh, the, its uh, impact on the poverty. Uh, the region grew um, less than actually 1% uh, for the past decade or so uh, compared to uh, rapid high growth in the most of developing countries in the uh, Asia Pacific. And the region relies heavily uh, on the, uh, the natural resource-based industries including agriculture, fisheries, also tourism. Tourism account for a majority of uh, the uh, foreign exchange earning for many, many countries. Uh, altogether, as you can see, actually, there are, uh, you know, uh, many countries have a significant uh, in reliance on the, uh, the tourism and agriculture, which are also both, both of which are very vulnerable to uh, the change of climate. Again, as I mentioned, the study does uh, aim to uh, identify and then uh, the quantify some of the key potential impacts. But I, I have to, uh, again, um, uh, say it outright that, that this is, these are not the predictions. The study are never meant to be prediction. There are no single model that are able to capture the, all the dynamics of climate change as well as any dynamics in the socioeconomics, yeah, uh, evolutionary systems. So this, all the results are going to be really much of uh, the results of simulation based on the scenarios rather than any type of prediction. So uh, please interpret them uh, as uh, indication uh, for the future rather than any, uh, any um, perception of the predictions. So the study uh, employed quite a lot of models in fact. Um, the, 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 three components broadly. First is the climate modeling. We hear about the global temperature rises all the time, but it, it's really vague in a way. Even if like you hear that the two, you know, two, percent de uh, two uh, degrees and uh, two centi degrees uh, in 50 years from now, what does it actually mean for us, for a for country, in, uh, individual country, or some region? Um, so, in a way, we, it, it is important to provide some local climate information to help the, uh, the governments or, the, uh, or even the private sector to prepare uh, the adaptation measures that are specific for the, uh, and then suited for the country or the local uh, conditions. So, um, we employed uh, dynamic downscaling uh, to look at the more detailed climate change information at the regional and the local, net, local levels. And then uh, we also uh, um, employed uh, some, of the diff some of the specific sort of sector level uh, models to see what will be the impacts on the key uh, sectors for the Pacific, uh, such as uh, agriculture, marine fisheries, tourism, and health. And then also uh, we uh, have uh, uh, another model to look at the, uh, the changes in uh, the impact of uh, climate change on the coral reef. Uh, coral reef has a uh, significant economic value for the Pacific uh, uh, region. And then now uh, we also uh, wanted to see how that uh, impacts the coral reef. 
And all together, that uh, you know, there are going to be a lot of interactions. There's going to be changes in climate, but there's going to be also evolutions in the uh, social economic systems uh, across different countries. And if you want to see uh, what we impact uh, uh, the uh, impact of this climate change on any of these economies, you really need to have a little bit more uh, integrated uh, uh, modeling approach to see interactions between them. Again, I have to say this is not a really complete model. The models are very much reduced to form, and it should not uh, be uh, taken as uh, predictions. There's still a lot of uh, uncertainties, and there are a lot of unknown factors that we, are, we have not factored in the model. So these are all indicative uh, results. So this, uh, I think I uh, explained the modeling approach. I, I'm going to skip that. Uh, the, there are various climate change uh, scenarios that uh, were adopted by the UN, uh, the IPCC. Um, uh, again, simply put, the, uh, the A1F1 is the one, is the uh, condition when the economy sort of grows in a business as usual manner. So that means it's going to be still, still very fuel intensive growth and it's going to have a high emissions as a result. Uh, A1B is the, uh, is the, uh, the scenario where the growth in the population, uh, the growth in the population and the uh, economy continues. Uh, however, they are also adopting the balanced approach in a way uh, with the technological advance to mix uh, fuel and non-fuel uh, energy sources to bring down the emission level of somewhat. So this is our medium emission scenario. And also we have uh, another high emission scenario, which is A2. The growth is much slower, and then uh, that gives you uh, less uh, sort of uh, you know, measures for the government to respond to uh, or uh, uh, take on actions to uh, slow the emissions growth. So this is uh, because of the slow economic growth and the slow technological advance and uh, uh, there's going to be still a high emission. And the climate modeling uh, and uh, through downscaling gave us uh, some of the results. The Pacific countries, we, we have actually downscaled uh, these climate models uh, to provide more detailed local information for only six countries due to data uh, availability. And those uh, data uh, results, in fact, uh, these uh, simulation results uh, suggest that, that uh, the, these uh, six uh, uh, Pacific Island economies will experience a two to three uh, centigree of uh, temperature rise uh, by, uh, by 2070. And um, in fact, if, if it, when it compares to the uh, pre-industrial level, it is uh, uh, it's, uh, you know, 2.5 to 3.5. In fact, that makes the temperature rise in the Pacific half a degree higher than the global average. And the climate change also affects the uh, patterns of rainfall. Uh, the patterns of rainfall are going to be quite different across different countries or even within the countries there's going to be differences uh, between the north and the south or east and the west uh, which means that but then uh, this is going to be really um, in a way 
aggravate the uh, whatever the current sort of a uh, condition a lot of countries so the countries that have the dry season likely to experience even drier season and then uh, the when there's a wetter region then that's going it's likely to become even wetter so uh, small island economies it's going to be quite challenging because the adaptation to <coughs> drier condition is going to be obviously in conflict with the adaptation measures to combat the weather condition. But then, uh, you know, this uh, is going to be a bit more in the uh, in a wider gap in many of these countries. The sea level rise is a significant threat to many of these economies, especially the ones that, that are very low lying. Uh, the sea level rise are going to uh, increase the risk of inundation. Uh, also, uh, it's going to uh, increase the risk of the salinization. Uh, already, many of these economies have a shortage of fresh water, and then uh, these are likely to aggravate the condition as well. Um, so, for by 2100, 2100, uh, the simulation results sort of suggest that uh, most countries uh, will face more than one meter of uh, sea level rise. So that is, is a, uh, really posing a significant risk to uh, the economy. It's going to be, uh, uh, there's going to be consequences of uh, this sea level rise in terms of the, uh, the deterioration in the coastal infrastructure, uh, also the land losses, and then uh, you have to migrate quite a lot of people out of that coastal area. Given that many of these economies that have uh, highly uh, concentrated population and commercial activities on the coastal area, sea level rise are a real threat to many of these economies. Uh, well, we have also uh, adopted some of the uh, crop modeling to see the effect of agriculture. Uh, the effect of agriculture were done in, uh, in uh, uh, done in the scenario that uh, has uh, no CO2 fertilization. Uh, without CO2 fertilization effects, actually the effects of climate change on agriculture is much higher. Uh, for example, in the uh, uh, in uh, PNG, uh, the crop of the uh, production of sweet potato uh, is uh, the worst hit. Uh, however, if you actually include the uh, CO2 fertilization, the uh, effect of climate change will likely decrease. So we did the, we were looking at both uh, the ones with the uh, CO2 fertilization and then without, uh, because uh, there's still a lot of debates of the, uh, you know, like it, it, the positive effects of the CO2 fertilization. CO2 fertilization is not necessarily all positive. It may, in terms of the, uh, the crop production, productivity, it may actually help uh, combating the uh, uh, effect of climate change. Nonetheless, there are a lot of studies also coming out that uh, are still uncertain. Also, uh, another issue is uh, the crops that grew with that type of uh, the CO2 fertilization may not be as nutrient as the, uh, the normal uh, production that we have. So again, uh, uh, going into the uh, fisheries, I, 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 don't, I don't have to uh, repeat how fisheries are important for the uh, uh, Pacific Island economies. Uh, thermal stress from the uh, increased ocean temperatures uh, do uh, lead to uh, coral bleaching. And uh, the, these uh, coral reefs 
as they have been uh, providing habitats for marine uh, life, and then uh, this you, you do actually expect the deterioration is the underwater environment. And uh, by 2050, uh, in fact, uh, uh, compared to the pre-industrial level of a coral reef, we have only 55 percent. By 2100, we will have only 20 percent of coral reef left compared to the pre-industrial level. So these uh, uh, coral Coral bleaching is already happening in many of these the Pacific Island economies, and many reports already reported. Actually, currently, we only have about 90% of the uh, coral reef compared to pre-industrial era. So the speed of that uh, coral bleaching is, uh, is uh, really uh, alarming, and then uh, we really need to uh, take immediate actions to protect these uh, coral reef. Um, the, in terms of the tourism, that the model uh, does uh, uh, look at the uh, economic impact of the uh, through the uh, tourism sector uh, and then uh, tourism arrival um, in various other various scenarios. So this is a medium emission scenario uh, for uh, 14 different countries in the Pacific Islands. Um, well, it's uh, the as the economies uh, as the uh, these uh, Pacific Islands uh, do uh, have a higher temperature. It, will become much less uh, tourist attraction, and also the deterioration in uh, underwater uh, environment, like uh, coral reef bleaching, is going to be uh, also uh, make, uh, having an impact on the tourism. So these are going to be uh, quite significant for many of these economies. Uh, uh, again, for most of the economies, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, more than like a 30% of decrease in uh, tourism receipt. We cannot forget the effects of climate change on human health. Public health uh, risks are rising, uh, especially uh, with the uh, climate uh, change and then the rising temperature. Uh, there's going to be a significant increase in respiratory, respiratory disease, and uh, the respiratory disease will account uh, about like 80% of the uh, total uh, health uh, risks. Um, we employ the two separate uh, integrated assess models. Integrated assess models uh, have uh, the ha uh, have uh, the uh, internally uh, model these uh, climate change as well as the changes in the social economic conditions, and then uh, they can actually see some interactions between uh, the models that we use. Uh, first. Fund 3.6, which was developed by the uh, UK team led by uh, Richard Paul, and there's uh, another one is uh, page uh, nine. Both of them were uh, relatively well recognized by the UN system, and uh, many of the uh, other international teams also uh, uh, employ these models as well. Under various scenarios, it's uh, even um, it's. Uh, like what? Like num again, numbers are not going to be really anything predict. Any anything predict? Uh, you know, this uh, it, it's not going to be anything uh, of a prediction or anything with of uh, accuracy. Nonetheless, what's very clear is net economic impact of climate change will be negative, and the effect is going to increase consistently over time. And for most of the, uh, this is uh, for the uh, entire Pacific region, uh, including all 14 countries. In fact, uh, uh, 
you know, there's a fund uh, ranging from uh, about four to uh, four, four to eleven uh, percent of uh, annual GDP annually, and then annual uh, you can actually see the annual cost of uh, annual <coughs> economic cost of climate change will increase over time until 2100. And again, with a page model, the signal is very clear. The climate change effect is net negative in the economy, and that net negative impact will only increase over time. So again, with the uh, fund, uh, page model, we uh, see that uh, you know, the dif uh, based on the different emission scenario, uh, about from 3% uh, to 13% uh, of uh, annual GDP by, by 2100. So where's the loss, where are these losses come from? That um, overall economic effects uh, were, co we, uh, were decomposed by uh, different sectors. Uh, most, the biggest uh, sector that contribute to the loss is agriculture. So for many economies, uh, in fact, uh, uh, these these are by different economies, and then now uh, this uh, sector decomposition of these economic impacts for these economies. For many of these economies, the biggest contributor will be agriculture. The second uh, biggest second biggest contributor will be the cooling cost, because it requires a lot of energy for these uh, economies to. Uh, you know, air condition the residential and then uh, commercial buildings, and uh, these uh, cooling costs come to the second. Then uh, there are some variations across, across different countries. Some countries will actually uh, experience uh, uh, some significant uh, land losses, and then uh, uh, this uh, land losses, and then uh, some of the countries will experience uh, high uh, cost from the tropical storms. So that uh, gives you a little bit of the idea of which, which countries have to uh, prioritize which sort of areas first in terms of uh, thinking of the adaptation measures. Um, so how much are we talking about? Well, this is the, uh, again, based on the uh, uh, different scenarios. But for the worst case, uh, this is a scenario where the uh, economy grows uh, uh, fast and we are following the business as usual growth patterns. And on average, every year from now until 2050, the Pacific Islands, uh, the 14 countries island total will require 450 million every year from now until 2050. The cost, of course, given that the private, uh, the you know, climate change uh, is going to be uh, highly uncertain, how, like uh, how, how, how bad is going to happen, how all that is going to be very uncertain. We took the uh, probabilistic function and then see like uh, what would be the worst case scenario, what would be the cost of that. And that is going to be, so again. Is that the damage cost or the adaptation cost? Adaptation cost. Yeah, this is the adaptation cost. So there's some adaptation built into the model? Adap How do you measure the adaptation cost? Yes, adaptation cost. From uh, this, I mean, from just the current time until uh, 2050 every year. 
and then uh, uh, the average is going to be 450 for the entire Pacific, but uh, it could go up to nearly uh, 800 million every year. So all together, what does it really tell you? I mean, I, I don't want to be an alarmist or anything, but the average temperature in the Pacific is expected to rise by two to three degrees above the uh, uh, 1990 level. And uh, this is actually uh, higher than the uh, global average. Again, sea level rise poses significant risk of inundation and then freshwater salinization. Effects of climate change on key economic sectors are significant and negative and are expected to increase over time. The health effects cannot be ignored because uh, this is, uh, again, another uh, serious uh, uh, cost element. Um, for the Pacific, it's uh, about like 1% of GDP uh, is going to be uh, gone to the, uh, uh, the uh, health cost. Uh, climate change altogether will cost the uh, Pacific uh, about 2 to 3.5% uh, of GDP annually by 2050, and further losses are expected by 2100. Adaptation funding needs are substantial, as uh, you have seen. <clears throat> so adaptation is unavoidable. This is uh, it's something that uh, we need to uh, really uh, act fast. Uh, for effective adaptation, the priority should be uh, to mainstream the climate change actions in development planning, and also undertake some of the low regret adaptation options as soon as possible. There are a lot of things that you can do, even regardless of climate change. And then those, you can uh, you know, start right away uh, to uh, help avoid the large climate impacts. Climate proofing infrastructure is a very important uh, issue and it will help improve our long-term sustainability. And for many of these uh, Pacific Island economies, of course, the funding, uh, given the large uh, investment needs, is going to be critical. Uh, successful adaptation efforts require strong cooperation and coordination beyond the region. In the different scenarios, actually, we also uh, see that if there is mitigation at the global level, the effects <coughs> With the mitigation at the global level, you will have a lower emission scenario. That means the investment needs and the economic cost for the Pacific will be much lower. The climate change impacts are going to be very much local and regional. But actions that actually make some differences have to be at, above the, above the uh, country level, above the regional level. So, Thank you. Uh, I'm wrapping up my presentation here. I will be happy to uh, have some questions. Thank you very much. Um, we'll go to questions. Uh, we have about 15 minutes or so. Um, in the interest of time, please keep your questions short and um, please state your name and affiliation. Uh, next to Stephen, yes, please. Um, my name is Garen Schmidt, and I'm an ANU undergraduate student here. Um, and I noticed on um, two of the graphs, the one related to coral bleaching and the one related to tourism, um, that there was actually, um, on the overall decline um, on both, 
um, there was actually a little spike around 2025. And I was wondering, like, on a projection, what what would explain that little spike, sort of that little spike up? Uh, Stephen, did you have a question as well? Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you. I, just, I guess when I intervened just then, I wanted to ask about those adaptation costs, right? because I thought in your presentation you're presenting us the damage of climate change, but somehow we've gone to adaptation, which is a different concept. So I'm very sceptical about costing adaptation. Um, but first I want to check you are doing that before I say anything. And second, I just want to ask, and obviously some Pacific countries feel this is an existential crisis, right? That they, so therefore the cost of GDP would be like 100%. And I guess that's like Tuvalu or uh, Kiribati, and I just wondered whether, you know, you think they're exaggerating, or you just didn't have data uh, to include them? Some of those low-lying coral atolls, maybe they're different pairs. Uh, would you like to answer that now? Sure. Okay, well... Um, there's a, you know, like a climate change is not going to be very, um, yeah. like, it's, it's not a just a linear sort of uh, uh, dynamics. So, uh, I mean, there, there are various other factors in there. So, I, I mean, like, I, I'm, I'm not really privy to the specific models uh, in there. So, I, I, don't, I don't know exactly why that there's a spark. But what I understand is uh, the climate change is not a linear dynamic model. And uh, you know, as you can actually see that the cli climate change are going to be, you know, you kind of feel that like there's going to be global warming all cons consistently over time. Nonetheless, it's, it's really not that actually. Like there's going to be, uh, you know, some places actually there's going to be, um, you know, a sort of cold spell in between. And it's, it's, it's just a, a lot of volatility between rather than consistent smooth trend. And then uh, those, uh, I believe, is uh, also, uh, you know, in a way, explaining like there's going to be some, um, you know, a little bit about these volatility in between. Um, I also like, you know, the, if the model goes uh, farther away, it's going to be sm smoothing a lot, a lot more. But if it is uh, looking at a little bit near-term future, you will, you will have uh, still very much of a volatility. Uh, so. Uh, well, uh, um, in terms of the uh, adaptation and economic cost, yes, in fact, uh, these are uh, more or less true that the adaptation costs are, uh, in a way, like a mirror images of uh, you know, economic cost. But what we have done is, uh, in fact, uh, employing a different models to estimate these. The economic costs were, um, you know, the uh, model by these uh, integrated assess models, uh, the fund model and then page model. But then uh, for the adaptation measures, we only use the page model. So there is a difference in the model. Also, the reason is for all these uh, integrated assess model, uh, assess, uh, assessment models, in fact, uh, you know, uh, as I mentioned, there's going to be no one perfect model. The every model has its uh, own strength and own weaknesses. And the uh, page model uh, strength is actually giving you the probabilistic nature of, uh, the, uh, of that uh, economic impacts. And uh, that also gives you then uh, like a range of uh, the economic cost. And plus, that 
that uh, you can actually do this uh, Monte Carlo simulation that uh, sort of like gives you the uh, probability. Why? That's why we get we get the uh, uh, range for the adaptation measures. Uh, but for page model, the they actually uh, have uh, many of the sectoral models embodied. So the sectoral economic impacts uh, drew from the page the, the from the uh, I'm sorry the fund model. The fund model had the sectoral models. So. Uh, that gives you much more, even the sectoral level of the uh, decomposition of economic impacts. So the total economic impacts I presented for both, uh, for using both page and fund model, but for the sector specific economic impacts are based on the only the fund model, and the uh, adaptation uh, costs are based on only the page model. Adaptation is calculated by the page model based on their estimates of economic cost. Hope that explains. <laughs> yeah, I'm very skeptical you can cost adaptation. It sends the wrong message, right? On the one hand, you're saying it should be mainstreamed. On the other hand, you're saying it's a separate cost, right? Uh, it's not exactly separate cost. As I mentioned, that the page model estimates the adaptation cost based on the economic impact they generate. So this is a different just a modeling uh, approach, not, not the uh, very different sort of uh, cost. What I would like to also uh, add is what we present are likely to be very, very conservative uh, estimates. And it's going to be probably the lowest bound of what's going to really happen. Because uh, as I mentioned from the beginning, a lot of the models <coughs> do not, I mean, they are not capable of capturing every like in you know, a single dimensions of real life. There's going to be a lot more unknown factors, a lot more of interactions, and we do not incorporate any of these, uh, you know, like uh, interactions beyond the sec sectors that we have uh, included in the model, uh, as well as uh, some of the uh, effects of uh, uh, increased extreme events. None of the cost of extreme events are incorporated. So this, uh, results, even the highest boundary we present, will likely be uh, the most conservative estimates. Yeah, did you want to yeah, say something? Can I just uh, supplement what you said? Stephen, if you're right, this is not a, this is not exhaustive for uh, the, the adaptation, the cost adaptation. This is a different measure, different dimensions to measure the economic impact. So the page model may, may I think it, your point in terms of let's not send a wrong inflation, wrong message is very, very, very well taken. It cannot uh, have a, a very exhaustive uh, adaptation measures in the building. And, uh, not be. That's a different, uh, this is to gauge what is the magnitude of the damage, what is the magnitude of the impact, and then in return what policy implications to address adaptation issues. So that's the question. I also just wanted to briefly ask um, why were why were extreme weather events or natural disasters not included into the modelling? You mentioned earlier, I think that uh, extreme weather events are not included in the modelling. No, we did uh, separate modeling for the extreme okay. events, uh, and then the report does provide us uh, some of the extreme events uh, and the potential cost of it. But it's not included our like you know overall economic impact. There is a, um, a, uh, a professor Ha also asked uh, the, the extension question for Tuvalu. Mm. And that's, uh, that's, uh, Tuvalu. Yeah, Tuvalu. Yeah. Yeah. If I may, if I yeah. may. 
it is a very much a popular question. For Tuvalu, for Kiribati, and what President Tom has been saying this. From the research point of view, the focus is primarily on the six countries. So again, the, that's a, but I think that the extension of uh, uh, extension of the question very much is there, you know, considering the countries that have the sea level and, and there's like a couple of meters below the, uh, above the sea level. So uh, and very much of a concern. Then there are different measures to, to have to find that to address those migration or, or other measures. Yes, please. I might have more comment than a question. Um, I'm trying to answer the work with DIFA and climate change. I just want to thank the AAB for this work. I do really appreciate there is no economic framework that we can use for our work. And sure, it's bold, and, and, it's, and, and as time goes by, we are refined, we are refined the background economics and such things, but we just want to say thank you very much um, for prioritizing this work. John Ayers. I'm a former official of the Australian Treasury. Uh, I'd like to ask Sing Sinyong to say a little more about uh, the framework for thinking about the adaptation measures which you identified in uh, responding to Stephen's question. If I've understood you correctly, you've said that uh, their um, benefits in the sense of harm averted um, should be thought of as estimates over a quite wide range or with a great deal of uncertainty. Whereas, I imagine the costs of at least some adaptation measures uh, are easier to specify, um, conventional ways done in cost-benefit analysis. What I want to ask you about is whether as governments put their minds to the question of what are the adaptation measures with the clearest case uh, for their, their benefits, uh, probably far exceeding their cost, um, what expectation is there that the uh, assessments of cost and benefit will become better informed uh, in five or ten years' time. In other words, can we expect um, that there will be a progressive improvement of the ability to identify um, the most valuable or necessary adaptation measures? Uh, we'll take one more question. I think, Colin, did you have one? Oh, yeah, I was just wondering about the connection you made between the impact on coral reefs and the volume of fish production and consumption. So I wonder if you might be overestimating the significance of coral reefs as a source of food uh, relative to a source of pleasure for tourists. So it seemed to me you were sort of mixing up the sort of the fisheries and the tourism sort of related impacts on coral reefs. And I wonder if you, in your model you actually got a calculation of the extent to which people are consuming Reef fish as opposed to pelagic fish, like sardines and mackerel, into that sort. Okay. Well, um, no. Uh, I, I, I take the easiest question first. <laughs> Those, uh, again, as I mentioned, that a lot of these sector models uh, do not have the interactions between. We have a coral 
uh, reef model separately, tourism model separately, fishery model separately. So if you actually combine those, uh, it's likely to have uh, more, mm, higher negative sort of effects of climate change. Nonetheless, the tourisms are really based on the uh, uh, tourism, uh, tourists' arrival, and uh, also it's uh, based on sort of uh, in a way the uh, the how the temperature rise is going to uh, compare to their uh, their um, the tourists. Uh, their nationality, depending on their nationalities, uh, how how the temperature rise is going to make the tour, uh, the uh, these uh, islands a lot less attractive. So that's uh, sort of like in you know, a tourism model. The coral reef model really look at only the coral reef bleaching out of the, uh, out, of the third, out of the heat stress. So that's also that, and uh, also um, the fisheries are done again completely separate. It's a separate model, and then uh, this is uh, not, I mean, we don't really have any interactions between the coral reef and the fisheries. This is uh, because of the also, again, the increase in the, uh, the uh, sea uh, temperature and the acid, uh, you know, there's, uh, the, uh, there's all other associated sort of effects on the fish productions. So they are not any, anyhow correlated in terms of the model. So that's an easier one. <laughs> okay, um, I think uh, uh, for the uh, adaptation, it's, uh, it's a very uh, challenging question. I think a lot of uh, you know, the, uh, countries uh, would really have to take a very serious look at the, uh, their, their development planning. And, uh, and as I mentioned, that uh, you know, the easier ones should get done first because uh, uh, there are clear messages through the report that, that uh, the climate change, the temperature rise are going to, are, are real, uh, these are real phenomena. I think uh, the biggest problem, uh, biggest in a way challenge that facing the authorities are that many, there's still a lot of questions whether or not climate change is real or whether or not are we going to actually see the temperature rise and whether or not it's going to actually have some sort of like a biophysical effects uh, in the <coughs> Pacific. Uh, the UN IPCC is the latest report in fact pointed out that uh, yes there is a global warming and it's uh, I, I think they were very careful about choosing words. I think the right now the word they chose is extremely likely compared to very likely last time. So, but I, 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 I was uh, uh, in a way fortunate to meet the uh, working group member from uh, IPCC on this uh, new report. And they, had, they were agonizing uh, uh, over the choice of word between very and something stronger than very likely. <laughs> So um, scientific mind, they do feel that, that yes, this is real. Cl global warming is real. And it is, uh, I mean, they, ju they just simply wouldn't want to say nine, uh, like 100%, but it's really like 99.9999999% uh, due to human activity. So 
this, uh, uh, I, I think, uh, in a way, like, uh, as authorities uh, do take that as, uh, as a reality and then uh, incorporate the, you know, the, uh, the, the risks of this climate change in their development plan, uh, it's, uh, it's going to save all of us a lot more going forward. Um, I think we're almost out of time session. Can I just supplement uh, what Sinha uh, said in terms of the, the adaptation of planning for adaptation, or actually work as we're working on adaptation from the country point of view? There are a couple of points. One is that the country has to take a, a whole, of, whole of government approach. You can't have an environment minister go to the COP meetings and shouting that we need the financing, we need financing, while they have, has to be done at home to take off for the bigger budget. Build the climate change adaptation measures through the budget. Finance it. Through the budget finance for what? Infrastructure. Now, infrastructure, infrastructure proving. When you when have the road and the subject to the, and the road and the uh, floods, severe flood, which comes more often. The better planning in terms of not to avoid the situation that happened last December in, in Samoa. When the cyclone comes, 30% of GDP is gone. Those are the challenges. And also, looking for some very indigenous and simple solutions, which is really very easy to make. This is something that structural, communal, non-structural and communal-based solutions. Look for and protect the schools and the hospitals, and then really protect the local ecosystems. Those measures are very much, very much powerful. So it's very much a dramatic concern when the environment ministers go to Warsaw, goes to Paris, and goes to Copenhagen. Great, but it's good to, to, to raise the voice. Things have to be done. That's, a, that's possibly the, the, the very critical <coughs> planning and then the work. On the, on the, it's, it's also a call for us. And then let me add one more item that in terms of policy implications. When we see that the crop pattern changes, or crop production changes, and all the more emphasize the importance of trade. The trade policy, the trade and the logistics for trade has to be in place. So uh, otherwise, uh, the total connectivity, the economic connectivity, the physical connectivity, all these are in place. Again, and what uh, uh, Stefan emphasized in his presentation two, a couple of days ago in Porto Villa, it is about uh, you know, taking, uh, taking, uh, making a development case on climate change response. It is making a growth case on development case. And it, it makes a policy case for climate change response. That's it. Uh, I'm afraid our time is up. Um, the report is available on the ADB webpage. Um, please join me in thanking You have been listening to a podcast from the Development Policy Centre. For more information on our work, visit our website at devpolicy.anu.edu.au. To join the conversation on Australian aid, Papua New Guinea and the Pacific, and global development policy, visit our blog at devpolicy.org. At the blog, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all the latest updates or connect with us on social media. Thanks for listening.